the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway now at eight minutes past nine o'clock. This is a Wednesday, the 18th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you very, very much for spending some time with us today. We're going to take you until just shy of noon, and we've got a lot of work to do between now and then. We have four, correction, five, but one of them uh, or two of them are coming on together. So four guest spots today all of whom are going to be very, very important for us to talk to. Coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk to an Ohio mom who is livid, and justifiably so, about her elementary school allowing a biological boy into the girls' elementary restroom with her daughter. No warning was given, not by the superintendent, not by the administration of the school. It's just, yeah, we let boys go into girls' rooms now. We're going to talk to that mom. This happened down in uh, Olentangy Public Schools, I believe it was. And uh, we're going to find out what happened. This is a story that uh, was broken by the Ohio Press Network, Olentangy Local School District Superintendent Mark Rafe and Scioto Ridge Elementary Principal Melanie Andres, if I'm saying all of that right, gave no warning to parents or students that boys were now going to be allowed into girls' bathrooms if they just say, uh, yeah, that's where I want to go. 
Uh, so we're going to talk to that mom about that and what's being done and what has been done since this happened. Uh, so that'll be at 935. At 10.10 this morning, David Vorman, Senior Policy Analyst with Americans for Prosperity, will be joining us. Americans for Prosperity is a very, very good group. It's a strong group uh, that are essentially fighting for everyone to be empowered to use whatever their individual skills are without the um, without being hampered, without being uh, encumbered by the government and by uh, political correctness and other organizations. Uh, but this is going to be a really interesting conversation and one that we need to have because um, uh, Jonathan Vorman will talk to us about what is going on in our communities, particularly uh, in our schools and how we can protect our schools. That's a big feature, by the way, today. I'll tell you more about that coming up at 1010. At 1035, Kimberly Miller and Dan Ramada will join forces. They are both with Citizens for Free Speech, the organization with which uh, or for which I uh, um, serve, I guess. It would be the best way to say that. We have a live webinar for CFFS Ohio coming up tomorrow night for local activists interested in protecting the First Amendment and uniting and finding others who are interested in the same thing. It is a numbers game. The more of us there are, the more we can coordinate, the more impact we will have. Local activist is our proprietary social media platform owned and operated by Citizens for Free Speech that connects people together so that we can indeed coordinate in ways where, well, we can't get canceled, closed, censored, shut down, suspended, shadow banned by the likes of uh, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. So we're going to talk about that at 1035. Then at 1110, our regular Wednesday spot with Neil McCabe, who will join us. He's the Ohio Star reporter. He's going to talk to us about Neil Peterson, Man we spoke with yesterday wants to be the governor of the state of Ohio, doesn't have a party, left the Republican Party, is an independent, says he can win this thing. Question is, is can he even get on the ballot? The signatures would seem to suggest no, he can't. Uh, what happens then? He wouldn't even be able to be a write-in candidate, from what I understand. So our options may be very limited. We'll let Neil McCabe opine about that. He will also speak on the election results yesterday in primaries in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Neil also is going to talk to us about Tim Ryan and why Tim Ryan is suddenly running as a as a MAGA guy. That's what his campaign commercials look like. He's pretty much spitting out all of the MAGA uh, talking points, even though he is a dyed-in-the-wool socialist slash leftist. So Neil McCabe will join us then. So Julie Szymanski, the Ohio Mom at 935. David Warman, Senior Policy Analyst with Americans Prosperity at 1010. Kimberly Miller, Dan Ramada, CFFS. Then Neil McCabe, Ohio Star. So we are loaded for bear today with a very important people talking about some very important things. None of which are as important, of course, as what you have to say. We will take your phone calls before, after, and in between those calls, or those interviews, rather, at 216 Nine zero one zero nine four five or triple eight two eight eleven uh two eight one eleven ten. That's triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Now before we get into the top news of the day, what do you say? We start with our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please rise. Face your flag if you have one. If you do not, that is okay. Do the best you can. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in Joe Brandon's divisiveness, if you are a believer in 449 a gallon, if you are a supporter of 8.5% inflation, if you are a supporter of making it easier to defraud the vote, well, then you don't want anything to do with this flag or what it represents. So you're exempted. You do not have to stand and say this pledge. 
If you'd prefer, go ahead and take a knee wherever you might be, just like your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I want to start today not with election results or any of the nonsense. Biden's uh, photo op yesterday in Buffalo indicating clearly and obviously he is just here to divide and curry favor with the minority vote uh, for his party coming up in the midterm elections. That's the only explanation for why he went to Buffalo but didn't go to Waukesha. Two very, very similar circumstances. Mass killings by one race against another race. Uh, very, very definitely racially motivated in both cases. One of them gets his attention two days after it happens. The other one, nothing until a month later when he sent his wife to go to uh, Waukesha. Uh, so clearly, it's uh, it's all about race with uh, Joe Biden. But I don't want to get into that right now. I want to start out with three stories about the danger your children are in when they're inside your school buildings, your public school buildings. The first one is, uh, the one I started to talk to you about is from Ohio, of course, which that'll be our guest at uh, 935. So I'm going to start here within Nevada. Uh, A Nevada school board cut off a mother from speaking during public comment time uh, because the mom wanted to read an assignment that was given to her 15-year-old daughter. She said that a teacher at the Clark County School District in Nevada, the nation's fifth largest public school district, assigned her 15-year-old daughter to memorize and recite pornographic material. When the mother began reading the alleged assignment, the school board cut off her microphone because of the obscene language. Now, the obscene language has been bleeped in this. Um, You will not hear a beep even. You will just hear it cut out. But I can just let you know that the word that has been bleeped out is a slang uh, word for the the male uh, organ. All right, it's a slang word for penis. I can say penis because that is literally the anatomical uh, word that we that we're talking about here. So the slang word for that was what the mom was saying here when she wanted the school board to know what assignments her fifteen year old daughter were being given. I want you to listen. Okay, thank you. I'm going to read you an assignment given to my. 15-year-old daughter at a local high school. This will be horrifying for me to read to you, but that will give you perspective on how she must have felt when her teacher required her to memorize this and to act it out in front of her entire class. I don't love you. It's not you. It's just I don't like your dick or any dick in that case. I cheated, Joe. I'm sorry. This is propaganda. Forgive me. Excuse me. I I don't. Thank you so much for your. Thank you for your uh, comment. Forgive me. I we're not using profanity. Are you? Okay. That's relevant. Okay. Just an FYI. The microphones are cutting out there in the um, uh, school board meeting room. But if you didn't catch it, the president of the board said we're not using profanity here. This is a public forum. So we don't want you to read the profanity publicly that we are telling your students, your daughter, to read privately and then to actually read aloud in the classroom. Listen. 
for any in that case. I cheated, Joe. I'm sorry. This is propaganda. Forgive me. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I don't. Thank you so much for your. Thank you for your uh, comment. Forgive me. I, we're not using profanity. Are you? That's relevant. Okay. The teacher this, this required my daughter to read, memorize this, and read this pornographic material. Excuse me. Please don't engage with the audience. Okay. Uh, sorry, so it's my please first continue time your here. public comment. Your your time is. You've got one one minute and nineteen seconds. Um, I ask you simply. This is a public meeting. I ask for decorum, um, and I'm asking Dr. Jara. Thank you so much, Dr. Jara. If you don't want me to read it to you, what was that like for my 15-year-old daughter to have to memorize pornographic material and um, and memorize it and portray? So again, apologies for the microphone cutouts there. That was in the room. It's not something we can control. But I wanted you to hear the reality of the situation. The school board is obviously offended by the use of the word, the the D word that is the pejorative, the 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 uh, uh, you know uh, synonym for the, the colloquial synonym for male organ. Um, they didn't want to hear it because it's obscene. We're in public. What's wrong with you? Well, the mother was obvious and correct in saying, well. My daughter is in public, too, and you want her to read it in the public school. How can you allow the teachers to provide and assign pornographic material or, at the very least, obscene material to our 15-year-old students when you can't even hear the words here in a discussion among adults? That's the reality of the situation here. The mother said she met with the district with the help of a parent advocacy group. She is hopeful the district will correct the situation without terminating the teacher, but she does want it investigated, and she wants everybody to know what's going on. These types of assignments are routine in so many public schools. This is just story number one. Let's move on to story number two. Story number two is maybe even a little bit more distressing, because this one involves a sexual harassment charge even though there was no sex involved. No sex, no sexuality, no sexual um, uh, suggestiveness, any of those things. Middle school students in, let me find this one, this one was in Wisconsin, middle, middle school students in Wisconsin are being charged with sexual harassment for... An investigation into three Keel middle school students has been launched. The school district has filed a Title IX complaint accusing the students of using incorrect pronouns while addressing another student. Fox 11's Monique Lopez spoke with the parent of one of the students in this Project Education report. I received a phone call from the principal over at the elementary school forewarning me, letting me know that I was going to be receiving an email uh, with sexual harassment allegations against my son. Rosemary Rabadou's 13-year-old son, Brayden, is one of the three 8th grade Keel Middle School students accused of sexual harassment, something she disputes. He said he's being allegedly charged with sexual harassment for not using proper pronouns. I thought it wasn't real. I thought this has got to be a gag, a joke. Um, one has nothing to do with the other. According to the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, or WILL, now defending the accused students, 
In March, one of their peers announced the pronouns they prefer to be addressed as, they or them. One of the alleged incidents Braden and the others were supposedly involved in happened in April. She had been screaming at one of Braden's friends to use proper pronouns, uh, calling him profanity. And this friend is, you know, very soft-spoken and kind of just sunk down into his chair. And Braden finally came up defending him, saying uh, he doesn't have to use proper pr pronouns. It's his constitutional right to not use. You can't make him say things. Some might say or think that you or your son are against the LGBTQ plus community. Not at all. Not at all. My my children have been raised to love everybody equally. Shortly after finding out her son was being investigated, Rosemary reached out to Will. Title IX sexual harassment typically covers things like uh, rape, uh, dating violence, uh, quid pro quo sexual favors, right? Really egregious stuff. There's nothing even remotely close to that alleged in this case. Will says the school district's policy doesn't cover the misuse of pronouns, and neither does Title IX. The charge against students for sexual harassment is an is a extreme abuse of the Title IX process. It's totally inappropriate uh, and is totally being mishandled by the school district. Fox 11 but this is what is going on in America's public schools. I wish I could just say, by the way, that it is only the public schools and you can solve your problem by saving up your pennies and putting them in private schools. Because, of course, you know, we can't do something as silly as funding school choice and allowing the dollars that are appropriated to each student for their education to follow the student to the school of their choice. I wish I could say that, but I can't because it's happening in private schools, too, which is leading so many people to thinking we have no choice now but to homeschool. We've got to find another way. So those are the first two stories about what's going on in our schools. The third one is the one that I told you I'm going to talk about uh, with a mother of an eight-year-old in an elementary school in Lewis Center, Ohio, at the Scioto uh, Ridge Elementary School uh, in Powell, technically. An eight-year-old girl came home and told mom, Mom, there are boys in the girls' restrooms. This is allowed now. This is legal. Little boys dress up as little girls and go into little girls' rooms. This is not going to stand. Uh, at least if this mother has anything to say about it, she will join me live at 9.35 this morning to talk about it. So I want to get into a little bit more depth on what's going on in our schools. Our children are in very serious danger. Our children are being groomed. Our children are being sexualized. Our children are being taught to go ahead and run with whatever weird little delusion that you might have going on right now. Today you're a boy who thinks he's a girl. Tomorrow you're a girl who thinks he's a boy. The next day you're a girl who thinks he's a dragon. She's a dragon. The next day you think you're a lizard. Whatever the case might be, and we have countless numbers of stories of these, uh, to normalize and to um, rationalize and to put other children in the position of having to agree with these strange little kid delusions, these little fantasies, um, is beyond dangerous. And to charge the kids who refuse to do so, to go along with the nonsense, um, that's another story altogether. We'll get our time out here. It's 924 AM 1420, The Answer. Trending now. AlwaysRight.us. Top stories right now on the website AlwaysRight.us. Black Lives Matter busted as the criminal enterprise that so many people knew they were. Black Lives Matter founder Patrice Cullors paid her baby daddy $970,000 for, quote, creative services. Her brother, $840,000 for security. 
a fellow director $2.1 million for direction and reimbursing the organization $73,000 for a charter flight. BLM is not helping B at all. Black lives do not matter. What matters is green. They are an absolute terrorist organization hell-bent on making money and nothing more. For themselves, not for black America. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the new press secretary, has a frequent history, new expose from the New York Post, of accusing everybody and everything on the American right of being racist. Systemic racism, individual racism, political racism. Read that story at alwayswrite.us. South Carolina's governor becomes the 17th governor, 17th state, to sign a bill barring male-born athletes from competing in female sports. That story from the Washington Times. A new audit of Twitter at the request of Elon Musk to find out exactly what he's buying finds that there are so many millions of bots or fake accounts on Twitter that half of the 40 million, or I'm sorry, not 40, how many million, how many million voters, or uh, how many million uh, followers does Joe Biden have? 22.2. He's got 22.2 million followers. The new audit found out he has half the amount. Half of them, over 11 million, are fake accounts or bots. So just like his 81 million votes, his follower count on Twitter is fraudulent. Quadruple ja- uh, vaxxed Sheila Jackson Lee. Quadruple vaxxed Sheila Jackson Lee, one of the dumbest people in Congress from the state of Texas, has tested positive for the coronavirus. Anybody want to remind me about safe and effective? Finally, a four-star, MS- four-star general, MSNBC military analyst, um thinks that video game footage is actual footage from the Ukraine war against Russia. You talk about humiliating, but this is what MSNBC hires. This is what MSNBC gets. There you go. A few headlines for you. Check them out during the news if you wish at alwayswrite.us. That's alwayswrite.us. Back after this. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. 938, we continue on this Wednesday. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Don't forget, check it out online at alwaysright.us. You can listen there right through your phone, listen through your uh, computer, whatever it is that you would like to do. So continuing on the path here in our kids' schools and what is being done to them and what is being done without the knowledge of parents, that is as big of an issue as anything else. Remember, the left likes you to believe that they are your parents, excuse me, that the teachers are your students' parents. Your kids belong to them during the time that they are in school, not just to educate, but to raise. And in that effort, they are doing a lot of things without the knowledge of the actual parents, thinking, well, we know a little bit better what's uh, what's good for them and what's not. Headline in the Ohio Press Network from just uh, two days ago, Ohio school allows biological boy in girls' bathrooms with no warning. School District Superintendent Mark Wraith, elementary school principal, principal Melanie Andres, gave no warning to parents or students, and one eight-year-old girl came home and told mom what had happened. Mom, like the children, very, very upset by this. Well, mom joins us now to tell us all about this story. Julie Shemansky uh, is uh, the mother of an eight-year-old who is in that school down in uh, Powell, and uh, she's got a story to tell. Julie, thank you for joining us this morning here in Cleveland. How are you? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you 
uh, allowing me to share my daughter's story. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I would like to say it's my pleasure, but it's very disconcerting to find out this is even going on. So it's not a pleasure to hear this, but I'm certainly pleased to speak with you so that we can share this information with others. I just cannot help but wonder how many kids didn't have the guts to come home and tell mom or dad what's going on in the school if they are facing similar things like your daughter did. So we need parents to be asking their kids about how things are going in school. So let's start with uh, exactly what your daughter told you when she came home. How long are we talking, by the way? A few days, a few weeks? How long ago did this happen? Uh, This happened roughly about a month ago. About a month ago. Okay. So about a month ago, uh, your 8-year-old daughter comes home from her elementary school and tells you what, Julie? So, and just just for the record, I do have two children at the elementary school there, an eight and a ten year old. Okay. And um, my daughter came home from school with her friend, and she said that she are, wanted are they, to tell if, me if about. If I may, it. Julie, I apologize. Are they yeah, both girls or a girl and a boy, or what do you have? Both girls. And both I actually, girls. I have three girls. I have an older daughter in the middle school as well. Okay. The only reason I asked, I was wondering <laughs> if the ten year old also experienced what the eight year old came home and told you about. Yeah. So. This actually started with the the 10-year-old, although they both have experienced the exact same situation. Um, The 10-year-old was the one who came home and shared it, and then it also happened to the 8-year-old as well. Gotcha. Okay, please pick up the story. Tell me what they said to you. Okay, so she came home from school with her friend, and she said she had wanted to share something with me, that something strange had happened at school that day, and she was really visibly upset. And she went on to tell me how her and her friend went in to use the girls' restroom. And when she went in there, they noticed there was a boy in there who was dressed like a girl. To their surprise, she said, Mom, I didn't know what to do. So we immediately turned around, walked back out, and stood in the hallway and just waited. And um, like any concerned parent, I called the principal um, to find out what was happening. And when I had called the principal... I received um, a response, something along the lines of policy numbers about harassment, bullying, um, sexual violence policy, um, and she even referred to Title IX. And she stated that children can use any restroom that they choose um, based on what gender they identify with. Um, Let me pause there. Because I've read Title IX, um, I don't think there is anything in Title IX that says anything about using restroom or shower or bathroom or whatever facilities or locker room facilities based on gender identification. Um, So that's the first part. The second part is, did you just say that the first thing that the principal responded to you was about harassment? Because who was being harassed in this situation? The little boy in the girls' room or all of the little girls were forced to see a little boy in the girls' room? Exactly right. And I, my, my response to her was that the policies that she referenced, although are fine, it, had, it was not applicable to this situation whatsoever. We were simply talking about my daughter's right to privacy in the girl's restroom and that she was completely surprised when a biological boy was in the girl's restroom. And quite frankly, she was blindsided. Um, and so were all of us parents. Is we had no idea that this was happening um, at this elementary school. Um, tell me more about the explanation from the principal again, because I'm very, very curious as to why she would quote Title IX prohibits sex discrimination. It does not Correct. prohibit or or allow rather 
boys to, to violate private spaces of, of, of undress for, for little girls. Again, whether they be bathrooms or locker rooms for gym class or, or shower rooms or anything of that nature, um, it does not allow for, uh, for that. Um, so, so was, was Title IX the basis of her defense there when she said, you know, the anti-harassment and anti-bullying policies? Because, I mean, reading, reading the letter of, of, of Title IX, you know, to the letter of the law, if you will, uh, they have nothing to stand on here, do they? Absolutely. And I requested um, all of this in writing. After During this first initial phone conversation with her, I said, may I please have an email citing the law that you're referencing, the policies, the school board policy, any guidelines. I want all of it emailed. And she did send an email that said that she was not able to locate any board policies related to transgender restroom use. Um, she then cited, again, those exact same um, policies about harassment and bullying. Um, and then she did um, reference um, the Grimm court case um, and stated as a public school that they are obligated to enact practices that uphold such rulings. And did she give you any specifics about what that court case said? Uh, she did not. She just cited it in her, her email. Oh, this was the um, email. Apologies. Okay, I'm sorry. So I thought, correct, I thought this correct. Was... So, when she so responded back, that was... What was their explanation for not telling anybody? Let's say, for the sake of argument, and I do not accept this argument, that they are right in their decision, that the, that a court case compels them to do this and to put little girls in, in very uncomfortable situations like this. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, hypothetically, that they're right. Why wouldn't they have told the kids, just so you know, when you go to the restroom, you might find somebody in there that you're not used to seeing there. Uh, you might find, you know, uh, you know, males or boys or or, or 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 transgender kids or whatever they want to call it. So be prepared, and you can choose to do something else if you wish. And then, why wouldn't they tell the parents that very same thing to prepare their children? Absolutely. And when I had questioned her, she said that she could not confirm or deny that there was even a trans identity child at the school. So um, I, I am, I'm assuming that she was trying to protect the identity of the child, which I can absolutely understand. Um, but in doing that... <laughs> I, I'm sorry for laughing, but didn't you say that your daughter said that there was a little boy in the girls' room and dressed I, like a girl? They're ab- not exactly hiding absolutely. their identity, are they? Absolutely. And if this child is, you know, dressing as a girl and wanting to use um, a restroom... Um, of the opposite biological sex, then I think that there needs to be a conversation preparing those children, um, at least making them aware, hey, this is a new policy that we are taking. Parents, this is happening. Kids, you know, I was forced as a parent then to have a conversation with my 8 and my 10-year-old girls about these very hypersexual situations to which I had no choice. I had to talk to my kids about why there is a boy with boy parts in the girl's restroom dressed like a girl. I didn't think it was age appropriate, nor do I think it's appropriate still at this moment, but I had, I was forced to have that conversation with my girls, um, and my right was taken away as a parent to protect them from some of those hypersexual conversations. 
We are talking, if you just turned us on, with uh, Julie Shemansky. She is a mom down in uh, uh, Olentangy Public Schools uh, uh, in Powell, and her 8-year-old daughter and her 10-year-old daughter have experienced situations where they've been in the little girl's restroom, and a little boy is either there or marches in there dressed like a girl, uh, full body parts and everything else, making the girls very, very uncomfortable. The parents weren't informed that this was going to be happening. The students were not informed. According to the article... Julie, in the Ohio Press Network, which is part of the interview that you did, uh, there mm-hmm. was uh, uh, there was a FOIA request for the Olentangy transgender transgender guidelines that were created by the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Departments. One of the sections in the guidelines say that. A student shall have access to facilities that correspond with their gender identity. Any student that is uncomfortable using a gender-segregated facility, regardless of the reason, will be provided with a safe, non-stigmatizing alternative. What alternatives did they present to your daughters and to the other kids there if they didn't want to be in the girls' room, which is where they belong, because a little boy is there in a place that he doesn't belong? What did they tell your kids to do? So the solution that the principal um, gave me for my daughter's was that they could go and use the staff restroom in the office. So your little that girls being told that they, they if they're not comfortable using the actual little girls' room, which is where they're supposed to be, they can um, put themselves through the stigma of walking away from the girls' restroom and going down to the staff restroom uh, to use the, the, the staff restroom inside the office. Uh, was there any concern given whatsoever that those little girls might be singled out for ridicule, that your daughters and other girls who did not want to go to the girls' restroom, that they might be the ones who are now targeted for being, let's just say, less than tolerant of the little boy? Absolutely. And um, and that was my first concern, is now we are displacing hundreds of girls to a, a staff restroom when they have a, a large girls' restroom that they should and could be using, um, and we're displacing them to line up in front of the staff restroom at the office. So not only are we creating all kinds of chaos in the school, but we are distracting from education, which is the point in which the kids are there in the first place. Anytime a parent uh, reports on things like this and offers any pushback on things like this, they immediately become targeted. You are an enemy of the LGBTQ plus community. You are a homophobe. You are a transphobe. What are you getting? What are you hearing from people in response to your bringing this up? Um, I, I've got a, quite a lot of positive feedback. So many people have reached out and said, thank you so much for standing up for our girls. Uh, we really appreciate we your you know your I've gotten a lot of your brave um, I've gotten some people saying I'm scared for you um, it's it's but most people have said I commend you and I support you let me know how I can be a part of it um, this we're failing our girls we appreciate you stepping forward and speaking out for them because nobody else is standing up for them which is kind of at the Olentangy School District, they have a program called ROX, R-O-X, and it's a girls' empowerment program. And my actual 10-year-old daughter is a part of the program, and the principal is a teacher of this program. They sign a contract. These little girls sign a contract stating that if they ever feel uncomfortable, they should go to an adult so that their voice is heard, so they feel valued. And right now, (laughs) 
that's that's not happening. They're teaching these girls to stand up and to speak out. They've even given them assertive rights. The, mm-hmm. the very principal who's telling them to be quiet gave them a piece of paper with assertive rights that stated, say no and speak up when someone makes you feel uncomfortable. Another one of the assertive rights on this contract is you have a right to privacy. So they're teaching this in this school, and the very principal that's teaching it is telling these girls, well, now that we've taught you to speak up if you're uncomfortable, now we want you to be quiet. Be quiet, go down the hall and use the uh, staff restroom. Leave the, leave the little boy in the girls' room alone. This, this is, uh, this is un- I wish I could say it's unbelievable. I wish this was exclusive in a very unique situation, but it's not. It's becoming more and more prevalent. So where do things stand now, Julie? Um, is, is there, are there meetings scheduled? Are there any plans being changed? Is it still your daughter's got to go and, and hundreds of other girls have to go down to the staff room? Where do things stand and where are they headed? So where they stand right now, it's really just about awareness. There are so many parents who had no idea that this was taking place in the elementary school. Um, when when my daughter came home and shared it with me, and I started talking with other moms and parents of the district, they were dumbfounded that, one, they didn't know, and they all, as the awareness has started to spread through our district, people have started standing up and and speaking out they have that they are against this they want to join in but, we from, have a, but from a solution standpoint what, where does it stand are they are the administrators going to change their tune are they going to uh, what, what are they going to do here they're going to continue letting the boy use the girls room and displace all of the girls um are, are they open to other suggestions or or, or where, do, where are we going there as of right now they are not open to any suggestions whatsoever we've requested a sit-down meeting with the superintendent and the principal to which it was uh, a return email with more policies and court cases um, being referenced in Title IX. Um, I went and spoke at the school board, um, and all of this has gone on deaf ears. So we are have raising you or, awareness. Have you, for- have you, have you uh, or any of the other parents who are upset about this um, retained counsel? Are you thinking about lowering, lowering up here and, and, and taking this to the court if that's what has to happen? Um, I mean, it's definitely been, been spoken about. We are, we're hoping that the school will sit down and talk with all of us parents, all parents of all students, so that we can come to a solution that's truly equal and inclusive for all students. That's, that's the goal here. If you don't get, if you don't get what you want for your daughters, have you thought about another school? We have. Um, we've thought about another school. We've thought about, um, uh, moving to private, we have uh, we've entertained a few of those different ideas, but again, mm-hmm. then you feel like you're running away from something that should be a right. She has a right to privacy and right. dignity and modesty. You're 100 percent right. That rocks little contract that they gave them tells them so. They have the right to expect privacy and they have the right to be respected and to not be harassed. And being harassed by male body parts in female places of undress uh, is simply inappropriate. And that's a gentle way of saying and- it. Well, and this, the transgender guidelines that came out through the district that were not voted on by the school board allow all the way through high school. This includes shower rooms and locker rooms. So this case at this elementary school is is it's just one piece. This goes all the way through the high school. So sure. these in a few years, these boys could be in locker rooms and shower rooms.
Well, and we saw how well that worked in uh, in uh, at the collegiate level with uh, with the female swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania being completely nude, male anatomy hanging out in the locker room with the girls, uh, the, the the women swimmers on the on that team, and they were extraordinarily uncomfortable. But their rights were not respected; only the rights of the confused individual were respected, and that's uh, uh, that's now going to start trickling down, as you say, into the high school, into the junior high, and here we sit now at the elementary level. Well, Julie, I yeah. really I appreciate wanna... you sharing the story. Um, I, I apologize. Yeah. We are out of time here, but I really appreciate you no sharing way. the story and telling us what's going on. If there is any development here, if you get any movement from uh, the administration uh, of that or the board of that district, um, I, I hope you'll stay in contact with us and let us know what's going on, because the more everybody knows, uh, maybe they'll uh, they'll have some ideas on how to deal with it when they face it in their schools. Okay. Absolutely, I sure will. Thank you so much for having Thank me you. on and letting these voices, girl, these girls' voices, be heard. Thank you very much. We'll be praying for your girls and for all the girls in this. Thank school. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, that's Julie Shemansky, a concerned mom down in Olentangy. Uh, you heard the story, Olentangy district, rather. Uh, you heard the story. If you want to react to it, I'd love to hear from you. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. It's always right radio on uh, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two underway now at eight minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Don't forget to check out the website. It's got all of the top stories of the day, news and views, radio highlights. Interview yesterday with uh, Neil uh, Peterson, a candidate for governor. It's, he's an independent candidate. He's trying to get on the ballot. He won't know if he got enough signatures until July, which means it's going to be very very difficult for him to be. A real figure in this thing, but uh, the interview is, I think, worth your time. Check it out at alwaysright.us. Thanks also to Julie Shemansky, the Ohio mom, about her elementary school students, uh, her little girls, uh, finding little boys in the locker room, and it's perfectly okay with administration. Not in the locker room, rather, the restroom. But parents weren't told, neither were the students, that that was going to be happening. So uh, those stories and more all online at alwaysright.us. Now... I want to pivot to something I've spent quite a bit of time on over the course of the last two weeks since we learned of the disinformation governance board being put into place by the Brandon administration and particularly by uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the Secretary of Homeland Security, says that this is necessary because when people spread misinformation that could affect the security of the country, i.e. homeland security, well, they have to be on top of that. They need to stop the flow of that disinformation. Problem is, who gets to decide what's disinformation? Who gets to decide what's real and what's not? Apparently, Nina Jankowitz gets to decide. The same Nina Jankowitz who uh, declared uh, that the uh, Steele dossier, which was used to to, uh, uh, trigger an investigation of the Trump campaign back in 2016 and of the Trump presidency in 2017, that that was valid, but that the Biden laptop 
was not valid, which of course came to light just a few weeks before the 2020 presidential election. That was all Russian disinformation. So she's just all over the disinformation side of things, right? Except that she was wrong both times. And now she gets to decide what's real and what isn't real and uh, censor it on that basis. Well, joining, joining us now to talk about that is a member of a group who is working very, very hard to try to get this board essentially disbanded. David Vorman is a senior policy analyst with Americans for Prosperity, and they are calling for an end to this board. David, thanks for joining us this morning on AM 1420. The answer, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So what, um, what was the first response of Americans for Prosperity when you found out about the creation of this board, even before we found out who was going to be running it and what their, uh, what their agenda was going to be? What, what was your first uh, blush reaction? Our first reaction was incredibly concerning. The, the idea that we're from the government and we're here to come protect your civil liberties and to be the arbiters of truth and to tell you what is disinformation, what is not, and to protect you from all of that. When this came to light during the House subcommittee hearing for appropriations, we put out a statement um, immediately, government should not be the arbiter of truth. Uh, government should not be suppressing views that they don't like. And the answer to misinformation, bad information, the answer to the uncertain times that we're living in is not to suppress speech and civil liberties, but it's to protect civil liberties and ensure free speech. David, uh, you know, I think anybody who has ever read 1984 immediately all had the same thought I did, which was Ministry of Truth, right? I mean, this is literally a, an overbearing, overreaching federal government attempt to control what people see and hear and believe. Only the truth that they declare to be truth shall be transmitted from one American to another. Did you have the same thought? I did, and I'm a little hesitant because 1984 has been a very popular book for a while now, and I think everybody likes to point to 1984 when there's a government action that they don't like that's concerning. I think we hear a lot of comparisons to 1984, but in this instance, I it is hard to find a word besides Orwellian that describes what they're proposing. And the Ministry of Truth is, is really a spot-on analogy of what Homeland Security has indicated to the public. Now, the issue that I think we have that we're still concerned about is everyone said this sounds like Orwell's Ministry of Truth. Department of Homeland Security said, no, 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 that's not the case. We're not going to determine truth. We're not going to be the arbiters of truth. This is actually to protect civil liberties. DHS has been incredibly unclear on exactly what this board does, what powers it has, any of that. So I, I think until they prove otherwise, this it is hard to find a word other than Orwellian to describe this board. Well, you know, we're talking with David Vorman of uh, Americans for Prosperity. It's interesting when they say they don't want to, you know, tell anybody, they don't want to censor anyone or tell anybody or make the decision or be the arbiter. And yet Nina Jankowitz, who was appointed as the head of this disinformation board, very, very shortly thereafter, in a videotaped, uh, video conference call, rather, said that she wants trustworthy, trustworthy, verified persons like herself to be able to edit other people's tweets and social media comments, to either edit them or add context to them so that people will get a more full picture rather than the picture being painted by the actual poster or tweeter or user. 
Um, so it, it, that doesn't seem to square, does it? We don't want to censor people's content, but yet here I am saying that myself and other verified blue check marked individuals, we get to verify whatever we want. Yeah, it doesn't square. I, the whole idea of protecting civil liberties by being from the government and saying this is true, this is false, is is antithetical, and I think the wrong way to go for sure. I, it, it's amazing that DHS Secretary Mayorkas seemed surprised that there was such backlash to this idea when it broke in the news. And why wouldn't Americans trust Homeland Security to protect their free speech and civil liberty? And in a time when we're coming out of you know two years of COVID, where you know people are rightly concerned about the information that that the government's released when you look back at the masks and and you shouldn't wear masks, and then you should wear masks, and which masks are effective. And we're getting a lot of different information. And Americans today feel less secure in their freedoms than they were two years ago. People feel less secure about voicing their opinions. They feel less secure about their freedom to protest and their freedom to exercise religious beliefs. And it's not hard to understand why people feel this way when you've got the Department of Homeland Security saying, we're going to protect you from, you know, opinions or misinformation and make sure that you have the right information. And you can trust us because we're the government. Well, this is the same Homeland Security that we trust to protect our southern border from invasion from uh, from foreign foreign nationals who are crossing our border illegally. And they are doing so to the tune of over 240000 per month. And after next, and I know this is off the topic somewhat, David, but uh, the fact that Homeland Security is responsible for the defense of the homeland, and once Title 42 is stripped away next week, they are expecting 240000 to become 550000 per month. That's a full-on invasion. The Homeland Security Department is letting it happen, and yet they wonder why we might question the Homeland Security Department's commitment to security against disinformation. Uh, I mean, they have to be kidding, right? I, we, it's not that. We have other examples. Just recently, we Department of Homeland Security, during the migrant caravan a few years ago, were targeting journalists and were just finding out who was writing stories and if those stories could potentially be damaging and targeting those specific journalists. We've seen them collecting biometric data from people who interact with the immigration system each year and collecting that information. You know, and now we've got this this board to, to counter misinformation. So the Department of Homeland Security does not have a good track record of protecting American civil liberties. I'm so glad you pointed that out. We're talking with David Vorman. If you just turned us on, David Vorman is a senior policy analyst with Americans for Prosperity. AFP has actually uh, launched a FOIA investigation into the creation of this disinformation governance board. I'm so glad you just brought up about what they did to journalists during that, uh, you know, that caravan because that's exactly right. And anybody who used the word, any journalist who described this as an invasion, or anybody who described this as being dangerous, or if anybody anybody put the you know uh, uh, the fact that. There are sometimes very bad people in a massive caravan of otherwise maybe decent people who are just looking for a better life. But there are drug mules. There are gang members. There are human traffickers all encompassed within that caravan. And anybody who pointed that out was accused of trafficking in misinformation and summarily censored or silenced or suppressed or or whatever. How can a government do? I mean, if that's not a violation of the free of the First Amendment and the freedom of the press, then nothing is. 
Exactly. And unfortunately, governments throughout history, throughout, throughout the world, have, have a tendency, have shown an inclination to silence and suppress speech that they don't like, that makes them look bad, that threatens the, the governmental actors in power. And, and this is just the latest example. I just thinking back in, you know, the United States history, you had the Sedition Acts of 1798 and 1918, where it was, well, this is war now, and to criticize the government is, is very damaging, so just we can't allow that. And it's in those times, and it's the example of this disinformation governance board where we really need to stand behind the, the First Amendment in our civil liberties and especially free speech, and we need to stand up and to tell people these are the times when the First Amendment really matters the most. Um, and on that, people can go to our website, afphq.org. Uh, they can find a letter. They can sign it and submit it to their, their congressional representatives, explaining why this is a bad idea and asking them what they can do to stop this as well. That's a great, great idea, uh, and I hope more people will indeed go there and sign on to that. Um, tell me what the goal is of the FOIA request, the uh, FOIA investigation, rather. Yeah, the FOIA request was submitted by our sister organization, Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And at this point, you know, it's a freedom of information request, and it's just to do that. It's to say the administration has been very unclear on exactly what this does, what the powers have, where they're, you know, kind of holding this in Department of Homeland Security, uh, what is the mission, the goals, how are they going to do the safeguarding of information or protecting people. And so this FOIA just says, please explain yourself. Give us information. We'd like to know more about this board, and that's why we filed this request. So uh, a little bit of an update here, too. Just yesterday, um, I found this in the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, Senate Democrats canceled the disinformation hearing that they were going to be they were going to hold a couple of weeks ago because of the embarrassment of the chair or the head or the whatever you're calling her title uh, of this board, uh, Nina Jankowitz. Um, Senate Democrats abruptly canceled a hearing at which Biden's new disinformation czar, there you go, we'll use that word, Nina Jankowitz, was expected to testify, a decision made after embarrassing videos posted by the self-proclaimed Mary Poppins of disinformation <laughs> sparked a, a political firestorm. I'm sure you probably saw that when this loon literally sat herself down in front of her cell phone camera and sang Mary Poppins style her own little ditty about... Um, uh, about information and disinformation and lies and so on and so forth in the federal government. Uh, it was so embarrassing uh, that they said, we can't put her up there now. She's going to get grilled. She's going to get destroyed for this. Uh, doesn't sound like they have a whole lot of confidence in the board or the person they chose to lead it, does it? I don't. It does not sound that way. I think if you watch the, the Secretary of Mayorkas the week after this was announced in the home of uh, the House, committee then there was the senate appropriations committee and uh you know senators capito and kennedy really really drilled down and asked a lot of pointed questions and secretary mayorkas did not have a lot of good answers and did not have did not inspire a lot of confidence in dhs and in himself and in in their decision making and in the individual they've appointed to run this board yeah, and uh, you know it's it's kind of an amazing thing that uh, they can make this appointment without any need for confirmation. Considering the ramifications here, if if you 
allow the government. You know, and it's funny because I, I talk about this on a fairly regular basis uh, in my role with Citizens for Free Speech, and we do a weekly podcast in which we talk about uh, matters like this. You know, we talk all the time about... Um, uh, free speech in this country being limited by private companies. And oftentimes leftists will say, well, they're private companies. They can do what they want. The First Amendment isn't violated until the government makes a law or establishes a policy that limits your free speech. Well, now isn't that exactly what this is? They're now saying if Twitter, especially with the Musk takeover, if Twitter isn't going to suppress and silence the opinions we disagree with, then we, the government, will do it instead. Now we are talking about a full-on government-directed uh, censorship of thought and speech by the American citizenry, as long as uh, they determine on their own accord you know, that it's disinformation, then it might be harmful as a result. It is. It is concerning that, that this is the government, this is, as we've explained today, and I think we're going to continue to shout, the fact that you host this, of all places, in the Department of Homeland Security, with their past on their record of civil liberties violations and the, the general concern of that, and now you've got the government saying, not even outright blatant falsehoods, misinformation and disinformation, where I think everyone has seen the fact checks where it says, while technically true, this makes an individual look bad, and we don't think that's fair, so we're going to deem this misinformation or disinformation. It's, it's incredibly concerning. The government should not be the arbiters of truth. The American people don't need the government to say, this is misinformation, this is dis- disinformation, and we're here to protect you, when what they should be doing is protecting Americans' ability uh, to speak, to speak freely and to, through the marketplace of ideas and through free speech, get to the idea of truth. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously right. We're talking to David Vorman. Uh, I, I point to as my best example of all of this, um, you know, censorship being done by the tech giants and the, uh, you know, the moderators. Um, I posted a two-minute clip of Dr. Robert Malone speaking. Now, Dr. Robert Malone is the patent holder for the mRNA technology that was used to create the non-vaccine vaccines that were given, you know, as COVID jabs. Uh, if anybody knows anything about it, it's the guy who invented it, for crying out loud. I, I posted a two-minute clip of his opinion about the dangers of it and why he himself would never take, even though he took the original shots, he wouldn't take the booster now that he knows more because he said, quote, I don't want to die. I posted that. This is the guy who created the technology and got a 30-day ban for posting misinformation. If they can declare the guy who created the, the, the technology that led to those vaccines a fountain of misinformation and that only people who agree that the vaccines are safe and effective and nothing more, well, then what can they do to the rest of us? They can declare anything that we say misinformation if they can go ahead and do that to one of the foremost experts in the field of mRNA technology. It is. It is concerning, and that's why we have the First Amendment, because I I think our founders recognize that it's through free speech, it's through that the freedom, the civil liberties, that the government doesn't have the best interest in mind at all times. They've got the interest of protecting the government and making sure that they're in control. I, this has been happening for, for a very long time. And if you look at, at elections, when we're going to police what people can say about elections, when our elections are about who should lead, and when you've got the government making decisions about what is true, what is false, and letting, being able to suppress speech they don't like, it is incredibly concerning and it's antithetical to the founding in the First Amendment.
Well, I'm glad we have Americans for Prosperity working on our side here and helping in this effort to try to stop this board or to limit its powers. Uh, Americans for Prosperity, you're having a petition drive here you were talking about. Can you tell us the website again for that? Yes, it's AFPHQ.org, and I think it's under news releases or stories. But if they go to that website, they can find out. um, They can look at our initial statement. They can read more about our Freedom of Information request, and they can read and then sign and submit the letter to their congressional representatives. AFPHQ.org. David Borman, Senior Policy Analyst with Americans for Prosperity. David, thank you so much for shining a light on this. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again. Thanks for having me. All right. It's a pleasure. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now we continue on Always Right Radio. Online at alwaysright.us. Check it out. News stories are there. Radio highlights from yesterday are there. Conversation last week with Leo Holman is there. Surrendering American sovereignty to the WHO. Yeah. If you thought it was bad that you didn't get to make your own decisions if you got a cold or if you got a flu-like symptom, you didn't get to make your own decisions on what you did, or if you wanted to avoid getting a cold or a flu-like symptom by getting yourself a vaccination, a flu shot, or, yes, one of the dreaded COVID jabs, um, you didn't get a chance because they told you, take the jab or lose your job, right? And millions did. Millions lost their jobs. Many more millions took the jab because they couldn't afford to lose their jobs. So it's bad enough that they, they're telling you you don't, you, you don't have to or you're not allowed to consult with your own doctor and make your own medical decisions. The government can make it for you. Step that up just one level. Now it's not our government, but somebody else's government that can make those health decisions for you. That is what they are doing by surrendering American sovereignty to the WHO starting on May 22nd. We're five days away. We're five days away from the beginning of a a treaty vote, if you will, or an agreement among member nations of the United Nations who are under the auspices of the WHO to let the WHO director decide policy in individual countries based on his or her determination as to whether or not it poses a health risk for people in other countries. It's that serious. You talk about liberty being surrendered. You talk about sovereignty being surrendered. It's that serious. Check out my interview with Leo Holman, Holman rather, uh, which is online right now at uh, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. We've talked about such things before in Citizens for Free Speech conversations, interviews, uh, podcasts, and webinars, and we're going to talk about them right now, too. Kimberly Miller is the Deputy Director of Citizens for Free Speech, the national 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to protecting and preserving the First Amendment. And Dan Ramada is my uh, co-leader of the Ohio chapter of Citizens for Free Speech. He's technically called the uh, chapter coordinator. And they both join us now to talk about the webinar tomorrow night. Kimberly, good morning. How are things out in Phoenix? Hi, good morning, Bob. Um, hot as uh, usual this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is, uh, and it's you know it's times like in the winter time. I wish I was out where you are, but then for the summer months, I am so glad I am not where you are. Uh, I'd rather be here near Dan Ramada, where we deal with the uh, with the uh, uh, the changes uh, just a little bit better. Dan, uh, thanks for being with us. How are you, sir? 
Oh, wonderful. Just a cloudy day over here on the east side, but it'll be 90 on uh, Friday, so what we're told. So, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. climate change is on the way. Yeah, there it is. Um, all right, so, Kimberly and Dan, I'm bringing you on, obviously, today to talk about tomorrow night's webinar. I talk um, oftentimes about, you know, people doing whatever they can to be active, to people doing whatever they can to support uh, the things that matter the most to them by being locally active, uh, whether it be at school board meetings or whether it be at city council or town council or, or whatever the case might be. And one of the, you know, obstacles, I guess, that I run into or that people tell me that they run into is they feel like they're kind of kind of lonely, they're kind of helpless. What difference can one person make? I, and plus, I'm not comfortable being that noisemaker, being that activist person. And they think they're kind of all alone in this. Now, the reality is they're not. It's just that they haven't been brought together yet. And Kimberly, that's kind of the goal of local activists, the proprietary social media platform owned and operated by Citizens for Free Speech, to take all of these lone wolves out there wanting to do something to protect their rights and all of our rights, to bring them together so that they can form a pack, essentially. If I can just uh, go ahead and run with that metaphor, the lone wolves need to come together and form a pack because there's a lot more power in numbers. There's a lot more security and a lot more sharing of talents uh, and uh, and things that they can offer to the cause of, of protecting our rights if they can work together. That's what Local Activist is all about, right? Kim- Kimberly, can you hear us? I can hear you. Okay, yeah, you're, break, you're breaking up okay. there a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things I've heard over the past year or so that I've been with Citizens for Free Speech is Okay, yeah, you're you're breaking up all over the place here. So we're going to reconnect with you, see if there's a landline connection or a better place for your um, uh, for your cell phone, and we'll try to reconnect with Kimberly out in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Citizens for Free Speech, by the way, is based in Mesa, Arizona. We talked to Patrick Wood, the executive director, a lot of times, uh, and uh, he comes to us from Arizona. So we'll get her her squared away. Dan, um, if you can maybe build on what I was just asking her, because you know you're here. Uh, we have webinars. We have we had a live event. Uh, obviously, just this past fall, in which we asked people to come from all over Ohio to, and you know, people don't realize how many uh, how many like minded individuals there there are, and all they need is some kind of a method for them to to come together, right? Absolutely. So we decided to do um, kind of build on what I was doing with Red Green Access Exposed in the last couple of years with Act for America, where we couldn't always have the live meetings and person meetings where you would uh, educate and then you know, come up with solutions, what could people do locally, et cetera. And we switched to the webinars. And then, of course, uh, you and your podcast with Patrick. And, and continuing that education effort. Um, Patrick, in his foresight, though, really saw the need for something else other than just our Citizens for Free Speech website and cre- created this platform called Local Activist. And what it is is it Kimberly will explain it better than I can, but it, it really is a good analogy that she uses. It's like a LinkedIn, more than social media. It's Facebook-like friendly. In other words, when you when you log into it, it looks like you're on Facebook. The it activity does. feeds are in the center, and you can message people privately. You can post things, get people to, to you know comment on it, and have a discussion back and forth with other activists. <clears throat> and it's not a place to post your family information or pictures or your talk about your vacation, anything like that. So that's why when we social media, we're reluctant to use that. I like to think of it like she said, 
LinkedIn for activists, how to connect with each other, because like you said, so many people thought they were alone. Well, there's nobody. I don't want to even talk to my neighbors because, you know, I, I'm, I'm fearful. And that's ridiculous. I mean, this if we can't talk about the things that are happening, like what happened to that mom down at her kid in Powell, Ohio, that you just interviewed an hour ago, well, then we are, where are we? I mean, we're a bizarre world as it is these days. But, I mean, if we can't talk to our neighbors about that kind of stuff, then they're kind of a... Uh, tragedy is what I call it, what's going on in the schools, um, then where are we? So I think uh, Patrick and his wisdom saw the need to create this network called Local Activists, and uh, Kimberly is the deputy director. She oversees it, and I am the local liaison, if you want to call it that way, as your coordinator, your partner and coordinator in Ohio. I'm the one that helps everybody uh, in Ohio to get onto it, to learn it, uh, connect with other people, and it's not, um, and it's all private, it's encrypted, it's free. Nobody's asking for any uh, any monetary contribution, well, we'll accept contributions, of course, but nobody's requiring you to pay any fees. And it's private, it's encrypted, it's secure. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit there and monitor your conversations. It has nothing to do with that. So it's just a matter of making the connections for people. Yeah, you know, Dan, that's a great explanation. And uh, and the comparison to LinkedIn is good, too, except for the fact that this is different than LinkedIn, because unlike LinkedIn, you know, local activists won't censor you for your viewpoints. And they won't, uh, if you're hunting for people to join your uh, join your cause, and whether it's a, you know, you mentioned the school district situation that I had the guest on from, uh, uh, from Powell earlier. You know, if people wanted to get together and say, I'll come to the school board meeting, or let's form our own meeting first, and let's get together and kind of plan our strategy on how we want to attack this situation with our schools. Um, you try to organize on LinkedIn, they'll boot you. LinkedIn is no better than Facebook, no better than Twitter or what Twitter was before uh, Elon Musk got involved. Um, but they will indeed, if you try to coordinate things like that, they will ban you, censor you, su- suspend you, or whatever, and local activists will not do that. In fact, local activists encourages people to come together to do exactly that. Dan, I'm told we do have uh, Kimberly back on the line now in Phoenix. Hopefully this is a little bit better. Kimberly, can you hear us all right? I can hear you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, yeah, that's way better. So, uh, you know, uh, Dan was just uh, kind of filling in for you there for a second and answering the question that I asked you about what local activists was de- was uh, designed to do. And his comparison was to LinkedIn, which is uh, you know a little bit different than Facebook. Even though the appearance is more Facebooky, uh, the connection aspect of this is more LinkedIn-like, so that you can connect with other like-minded people in your community to really work on local change and 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 while well, making change in in your locality. That's what local activists is all about, right? Right. It's an, a really great opportunity to learn from one another. I think we're all in this um, new you know, situation together where we're trying to figure out how can we get involved? How can we work together? How can we learn from one another? And um, how can we be encouraged and supported? And so that's what the um, one of the main um, focuses of uh, local activist is, but of course, it's also a place to come and get training as well. So you can get the skills you need and um, get uh, you know, the knowledge and um, the tactics to how how you can fight back in your community. You know, that's so important to talk about the training aspect of this, too. And, and what I want people to know, too, um, and Kimberly, see if you can speak more to how 
local activist works. First of all, how people can get online with it, you know, where they can where they can find it. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of people are just browsers. They just want to look and they want to read and they want to see what people are organizing. And, and that's fine to an extent. But local activist is about the word active. Activist has at its core active. And, um, you know, so if it's just a place where you want to kind of browse, you can do that for a while, but you are going to be expected to kind of participate and become active in your local communities. So talk about how that works a little bit. That's going to be obviously the subject of the webinar tomorrow night in much more depth, but you can give us just a thumbnail sketch of that now. Right. Well, first of all, you can find us at localactivist.org, and there's a button, you know, a link there to create an account. And when you create the account, we do ask you to upload your picture and uh, tell us where you're from and, and why you're coming to Local Activists. And the reason for that is we want to create a community. We want to create a hub. And so this isn't intended to be really a looky-loo or, you know, come and just browse, but to get involved and to get to know one another because that is where we're going to have, you know, our strength is in getting to know each other. And then um, once your account is approved and you have access to the site, then you can access the training, which is part of the um, e-learning library, um, our courses catalog. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm so glad you bring that up because uh, right across the top in the top menu, there's activity feed, freedom pods, courses, terms, uh, and so forth. And the training courses are very, very important. Dan, um, you know, you've uh, you've you've been trying to coordinate, particularly here in Ohio, because you are uh, the Ohio coordinator and my, my co-leader here in in this chapter. But but bigger picture across the country, I mean, the 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 goal here is to get as many people trained to 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 handle. Um, civic presentation, civic to civil discussion, uh, and there are tools on how to become an activist that really can make you much more effective than just somebody who's, you know, maybe being a little bit louder than somebody else than thinking that works. There is a science to it, isn't there? There is, exactly. And um, under the training, you can do the training on your own at your leisure, on your computer. Um, t- typical lesson lasts about 45 minutes. There's some little bit Q&A, that sort of thing, you know, and I and you, get, you can kind of grade yourself. And and once you start to work yourself through the training, you said, oh, I get it. I really get it. Oh, boy, now I really get it. Um, that's how common sense, sensical this training is. I mean, the people um, should remember that when they're, say they're, and it's not just for school boards, but I'm going to use them currently because we were on that topic earlier today. But sure. when you walk into that room and you go to the podium, remember that everybody in that room technically works for you. So we shouldn't be gun-shy, we shouldn't be afraid, we shouldn't be timid. It does, it, we don't teach to be loud and obnoxious and you know, uh, combative or anything like that, but how to do it the right way, how to address it, how to be concise, they'll limit you to time, how to make sure that you stay on topic, don't get distracted uh, when you're interrupted, you know, say by the audience behind you. Like the first story you told about the woman um, earlier today where she was trying to explain what the pornography that her daughter was learning and used the actual words and then people in the background were, you know, supposedly against her, making noise and causing ruckus, which interrupted her time. But all those little things like that um, are what you would learn in the training. And then you can get involved in after Great. taking the individual training or in conjunction with the individual training. There are um, uh, ninja groups, so we call them ninjas, citizen ninja groups that work together. And some people like to Learn that way. 
my group discussions, and you can that's do a, that that's online. A great, that's a great real world example you just used there, by the way, with the with the woman, uh, the mom in in Powell, and and just uh, to to hit a few of these courses that are available right now. I'm just looking at the website. Uh, which is right now the subtle nudge: how to recognize and analyze desired outcomes. The city survey: how to get, uh, get to know your community. Speak up: how to prepare and give a public comment, and how to respond to those who might heckle. By the way, again, there's the real world example there: citizen ninja mm-hmm. training and uh, team building in in uh, basic training study groups. How to become a precinct committeeman. All of these things are all available there, along with Freedom Pod. So if you don't know. Uh, obviously you don't. That's why we're kind of bringing you guys on today. So we can give you just a little bit of a taste. Tomorrow night in much more depth, we will have a presentation on our Ohio chapter webinar, uh, uh, Kimberly, in which we're going to teach them how to use Freedom Pods, what they're all about, how to enroll in these courses, what the value of these courses are. And we're going to be able to answer questions for anybody and everybody that attends that webinar. Uh, and, and so that's the goal is, is tomorrow, just to educate people as to how local activists works. And to clarify, Kimberly, do you have to become a member of Citizens for Free Speech first before becoming a member of local activists? Uh, we like you to become part of Citizens for Free Speech, absolutely. But um, if you come on to local activists, you can invite others in your group, too, or, you know, in your community to join. There's an invitation link that you can send out to all of your friends and contacts to have them come on to local activists. Um, so we do want to make it as easy as possible. We we are able to, you know, coordinate um, between our databases and, and whatnot. And so you're going to be able to get Citizens for Free Speech information as well. Um, but, you know, we don't want any barriers for people to join us. So um, if you go to localactivist.org, um, you can get on straight away. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And as I keep saying, there is uh, power in numbers, and that's the goal here. Bring people with you to watch the webinar tomorrow. Bring Invite them on to Local Activist, and then, of course, we'll get them all uh, to become members of Citizens for Free Speech. The bigger the membership, the more power we have when we're trying to influence local leadership, uh, statewide leadership, and, yes, even rising up to national leadership. But it really begins at the local level. That's why it's called Local Activist. Well, Kimberly Miller, Deputy Director of Citizens for Free Speech, Dan Ramada, uh, Ohio co-chair uh, or a co-leader rather of the Ohio chapter of Citizens for Free Speech. Tomorrow night is the webinar. Dan, why don't you give us the particulars? Yeah, you can just go to citizensforfreespeech.org forward slash Ohio and the link to register is there. Now, just like everything these days, you, you got to fill out your information, wait for that confirmation email, you'll get the Zoom link to ch- connect with us tomorrow night. And I might add that whether you're an individual or you're a mom in Powell, Ohio with just seven other moms or dads that are not happy with what just happened down there, or you're a leader of a group and you're, um, this is even in your issue that there's other issues you're concerned with. And you're, you're a lar- leader of a large tea party, a conservative group. Uh, I, uh, and in fact, I don't even want to go down political road. It could be anything. Okay. We are. If you support the bill of rights and the constitution is really all. Correct. And you can set up your own little group on there. And they're called Freedom Pods. They're sub-Freedom Pods. But like, I'm the guy to work with to, to get you educated on this. And you um, sign on this webinar. You'll get on our mailing list. You also get a sent a recording of tomorrow night's webinar in case you can't be on it. And it's the kind so, of thing you can reach out to me with, and I can work with you at any point during the summer and, um, you know, get you started. Citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. That's where you find the uh, registration to uh, join the webinar tomorrow night. Uh, 7 p.m. or 7.30? 7 
7.30. p.m. Register, register for that event tomorrow night. Kimberly Miller will run it. Uh, Dan Ramada will be there. I'll be there to help as well. So make sure you tune in for the Citizens for Free Speech local activist training webinar tomorrow evening. It could make the difference between making a difference in your community and just being a bystander. Kimberly, thank you so much. Dan Ramada, thank you both. Thank you. All right, there you go. That's uh, that's Citizens for Free Speech Ohio chapter tomorrow's meeting. Very much looking forward to that. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. We have been loaded today. I told you we would be. Not a lot of opportunities for you to be heard, and I apologize for that, but we've had some very, very important guests on. And hour number one, if you missed it, we talked with a mom uh, from Powell, Ohio, livid about, along with a whole lot of other parents, about little boys being allowed into little girls' bathrooms, including while her little 8- and 10-year-old girls are there. And the school just never bothered to tell the par- the kids to be ready for that, the parents, or anybody else. That's an ongoing issue. At 10:10, we spoke with David Vorman from Americans for Prosperity about an end or pushing for an end to the uh, Disinformation Governance Board and its lunatic czar, Nina Jankowitz. We talked last half hour with Kimberly, Kimberly Miller and Dan Hermato of Citizens for Free Speech. And now, what do you say we talk politics? Can you believe that in two hours now, two hours plus of a program on generally on politics, we didn't discuss what happened in Pennsylvania yesterday for one second? Uh, we didn't. And the main reason is we didn't get an answer as to what's going on in that Pennsylvania Senate race, which was almost as interesting and intriguing as the Ohio race that saw J.D. Vance winning the GOP primary. But Dr. Oz, the leftist, pro-trans, puberty blocking for kids, somehow uh, choice of Donald Trump, uh, in a virtual dead heat with David McCormick, a, a Pennsylvania businessman, an Army veteran, an Army Ranger, as a matter of fact, um, who is uh, supported and endorsed by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So they're in a virtual dead heat. We don't have any answers as to how that is going to play out just yet. But it is time to start talking politics. And Neil McCabe joins us to do that. He is, of course, our regular Wednesday commentator from the Ohio Star at OhioStar.com. Neil, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Hey, fantastic, Bob. So it was a it was a late night, and uh, I hope this isn't a trend in future cycles where I go to bed not knowing the the answer. It's it gets a little frustrating when uh, Florida Florida reports ninety nine percent by ten o'clock at night. I, I you know, but this is the way. It, maybe this is the new normal. 
Why, why do you think that is, Neil? Just since we're doing it, uh, I, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but you're right. Florida gets it all done in very, very short order. Why do some states have such an archaic way of counting, or is it archaic? What's the? I, I haven't heard any justification as to why they can't get this thing figured out the night of the election. Well, Florida, some states will count ballots as they come in. They just don't re- release the result. Other states don't do that because... A lot of people aren't comfortable with those early ballots being counted because you get a real feel of where the election's going. And so Florida takes sort of a head start. In 2020, you had the added complication that the election was stolen. So people were basically deliberately stopping the voting in the Democratic districts so that they could wait to see what Trump was coming up with so that they know they knew what number to write in. And basically, that was, those are the ballots they needed to show up with uh, to beat Trump. But I think uh, it was just it was just really frustrating. And I I remember I don't know I should have looked at the clock. It was it was after midnight when when the New York Times flipped over and put Oz in the lead. Uh, and you know it's, uh, I'm not really sure where it's at right now. I, is Oz still in the lead right now? Uh, by yeah, by like I don't know less than ten thousand like votes. I think it was yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a very interesting race, as you point out. You know, you had three guys or three candidates all either claiming to be more Trumpier than the other, all wanting the Trump announce, uh, endorsement. Oz got the endorsement uh, for, I think, two reasons. One, he had a personal relationship with Trump. And as a typical sort of New York businessman, these sort of handshake personal relationships are very important to guys in New York. I, I think the other reason is that he felt that Oz would do what he was told in the Senate, whereas McCormick would be sort of freelancing and he'd basically be like having another Mitt Romney, and he couldn't always count on a grateful McCormick the way he could count on a grateful Oz. Uh, and then, of course, Barnett just came out of, I don't want to say out of nowhere, because she was working her tail off all over the state. I, she may have peaked too early because... When, when people with uh, the Oz and McCormick camps realized that she was surging, it was sort of it was like an episode of uh, Empire Strikes Back. They just went after her, and I, Hannity was absolutely brutal on her. Hannity, I don't know what night it was, one or two nights, where he, he actually said she doesn't belong in the Senate because she was at the January 6th protest. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Whose side are you on now, Sean? It's, but anyway, I, well, you know what? I mean, this is look, you know, Kathy Barnett was rising up and becoming a threat yep. to Dr. Oz. And Dr. Oz, of course, is Trump's endorsement. And, and Dr. Oz, or excuse me, and uh, Sean Hannity has unfettered access to Donald Trump. If Sean Hannity yep. went on his popular 25 year Fox News show and went against Donald Trump and supported Barnett or McCormick, he, he would lose access to his number one ratings getter. And that's what Donald Trump is. I was very disgusted and disappointed. And with, uh, with what he did to Kathy Barnett in this thing, all in support of Trump and in support of Dr. Oz. Kennedy would have been enough to give her a push. He could have given her cover. Yep. He could have exposed her to people across the country who would have sent her money. And if he had called out Oz on some of his less conservative positions, it would, have, it would knock the pins out from under him. Yeah, exactly right. And he didn't want to do that, like I said, because then he would lose Trump. You know, he gets Trump on his radio show, his afternoon radio show. He gets Trump on his, his primetime nightly show uh, whenever he wants him. 
And he's, there's no way he was going to undercut that uh, and actually support Kathy Barnett or anybody else who is a true conservative. Do, you know, Dr. Oz is no conservative at all. He is far, far, far more, in my opinion, of an irresponsible choice uh, as a pseudo-conservative trying to pull the wool over the eyes of voters than J.D. Vance ever was. J.D. Vance, to me, was not the most conservative guy in this race, in the primary race in Ohio. He won it. I'll support him because I think he'll be way better than Tim Ryan would be. But Dr. Oz is far, far worse than J.D. Vance ever was, or to me, even ever presented to be, because his career uh, uh, you know, spoke for itself in terms of supporting the trans movement, supporting puberty blocking, supporting uh, augmentation of children's body parts, and so on and so forth, all in the name of, of medicine. Uh, you know, To me, that, along with a few other stances that he has taken, make him a, no, a non-starter for me. I have no idea how Donald Trump chose him. Well, J.D. Vance never gave money to the Clinton Foundation either. That's uh, another one. Is, and so it, it, the other, it, it sort of brings up sort of what I talk about is the, the real primary, right? Is, uh, is it going to be the Tucker candidate or the Hannity candidate? Because a lot of times those two shows are actually at war with each other overtly and covertly through their uh, messaging and their monologue. And, uh, you know, Tucker will be particularly vicious to Lindsey Graham, knowing that Graham is Sean Hannity's lead-off guest in the next hour. So it's, a, it's just sort of a sideshow that we now live in. It is. It is exactly that. All right, Neil, let's, let's come back to this state. Now, yesterday I did an interview uh, with Neil Peterson, who, of course, is a conservative. Uh, I don't think anybody would dispute that. Uh, he's a conservative-minded uh, Dayton-area pastor who used to be a Republican, who left the Republican Party, or as he told me yesterday, uh, the Republican Party left him. Uh, but he is uh, wanting to be on this ballot. Um, it, it, it appears very, very unlikely that he will be, because he only got uh, just shy of 6,000 signatures. Uh, he needs 5,000, and we know how those things are verified and validated. Right. Um, which is to say you know, that he's probably not, but... Um, he's interesting, and I want to ask you about him because of his, um, you know, what he represents, which is just an alternative to the, you know, the, the, the poison you feel like you'll be swallowing if you vote for Mike DeWine again, if you're a conservative in Ohio, or if you vote for Nan Whaley, the Democrat. Um, you know, you feel like you're in a lose-lose situation. What's my third option? Oh, there's another guy? Well, I'll look at him. But then again, in the past, we have seen other guys be protest votes that essentially end up uh, leading to a, a less than desirable outcome for the eventual winner. So what's your take on Neil Peterson's uh, independent run here? Well, first of all, I think the meta answer, Bob, is that Republic conservatives have found a home in the Republican Party, but we are treated like the guests that stayed too long. And we're sort of tolerated, but we're never welcomed and we're never encouraged, and we're never defended. We're just sort of here, and we're needed from time to time. And I think, you know, the fact that Peterson leaves the or says the Republican Party left him, I don't know if the Republican Party ever really wanted him. They just needed him, and they used him until he couldn't take it anymore. I think that uh, the real answer is, on his candidacy, is that he could very much win if he got the backing of some, you know, some contributors to get his message out. The Democratic Governors Association did a poll the last week of January that showed that there are 35% of Republican voters who said they would never vote for DeWine again. And 44% of Republican voters said that they would support 
a conservative independent to run for governor, which is really, I mean, that's Peterson. That's your, and so basically you run in, you go into a three-way race with the, with 44%. That's a pretty good start. Well, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, first of all, he's got to get on the ballot, though. Um, well, and, and most <laughs> people, most people don't believe he's going to be able to do that. But, but everything you just said is valid if he can get that kind of support. But more people that I speak with, you know, who's, and I said this to him yesterday, uh, people whose political instincts I trust say that if he d- does get in, that if he is, uh, um, uh, does have 5,000 valid signatures and is on the ballot, it is a guarantee that Mike DeWine loses and a guarantee that Nan Whaley wins. And that's the one thing that I asked him, you know, yesterday, and I think it's important. I said, can you live with that? Can you live with your entry taking uh, votes, Republican votes away from Mike DeWine, even though, you know, so many, so many of us do not like Mike DeWine? It would be preferable to Nan Whaley, a pro-abortionist, et cetera, et cetera. Can you live with that? In fact, I might even have uh, audio of that part of this. Let me see if I can play this. This window, an independent can be very viable. We're talking to Neil Peterson. He is a Dayton area pastor and an independent Republican, as he calls himself, or independent candidate for governor. Um, I'm just having a tough time. First of all, I agree with you. uh, In the entirety of the run-up to the primary, I couldn't find. I mean, Mike DeWine couldn't even show up at his own state central committee meeting and vote for an endorsement because he knew he would be booed uh, by the crowd. He didn't show mm-hmm. He was booed by the crowd in the second largest county uh, uh, GOP organization in the state in Cuyahoga County. He was booed when he went there to try to you know get his coronation, and then uh, he lost that to Jim Renacci. So I don't know where the support for Mike DeWine is coming from either, but yet here he sits um, in a situation where he got 48% of the vote. Renacci and Blystone even combined would have barely beaten him at 49 percent so yet there he is now neil here's a real tough question for you um can you live with nan whaley as the governor because some people whose political instincts i trust have said if neil peterson gets on this ballot if you get those five thousand confirmed signatures and you are there mike dewine will lose people will vote for you who would have voted for him and that nan whaley is going to watch that split vote and smile on her way to the governor's office can you live with well, that, and do you agree with that? Well, I, I, not only do I, um, it's not necessarily whether I believe it, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on this, because it's something, Bob, from the very beginning I had to grapple with. I went into this knowing that when we went independent, we filed, we filed originally as a Republican, and as with the citizens candidate, no name recognition, no money. We knew that we were going to continue to split the vote. This isn't about me, but I want to share the nuances that make this unique, okay? Mike DeWine is one of the least liked governors in the country. You know that. You talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But the reality well is... Well earned, is, by the way. Well earned. <laughs> yeah. He, he won that badge of honor well. Yeah. So he's with his unlikability. Right. There's nothing to get excited about other than his lockdowns and, you know, his um, 
All right, in the interest of time, I'm going to cut that there, Neil, so I can get you back on. We're going from Neil Peterson yesterday to Neil McCabe, who's uh, analyzing this for us today from the Ohio Star. Uh, his ultimate point that he was getting to there was, is Mike DeWine is so unpopular with Republicans, he's going to lose in a head-to-head against Nan Whaley anyway. Whether Neil Peterson is involved in it or not, he believes Mike DeWine will lose because Republicans will stay home. So his presence at least gives them an opportunity to vote for somebody else and maybe take enough in a three-way race to get it done. So, sorry about the delay there. I didn't quite no, have no, it no. up where I wanted it, but that's that's his take. What is your response to that take? And, and, you know, and I caught the gist of what he was struggling with, but, you know, and we can all, I think we can all agree that Joe Blystone certainly didn't care that he got uh, DeWine the nomination and maybe we'll find out what happened, who, who put Blystone up to it because, you know, it wasn't my job to run the Renacy campaign, but, you know, Renacy would have been 10 times the governor that, uh, that DeWine is. I guess what we have to ask is, you know, can he get the backing? It is possible for him to run the table as an independent. It's there. You know, there's certainly there's enough sort of turbulence in the force to uh, to create a momentum for the guy. But he's got to get funding and he's got to have an apparatus and he's got to prove that he can collect signatures. You know, there's, there's a you know, he is running for governor of a pretty big and important state. And so, you know, 6,000 signatures really isn't enough. You know, he's got to, you know, you're supposed to, like, overwhelm people with this groundswell. And so, you know, maybe maybe you giving him some, some heat and, you know, him sort of going around, putting his message out, he'll get in touch with the right people and somebody will stroke him a check and he'll be on his way. I mean, the guy sounds terrific. I mean, you're just the fact that he's a, pa- a, he's a pastor with a concealed carry, uh, Permit. That sounds like my kind of path. <laughs> I do too. I like that too, and I and I like his stance on a lot of things. I was looking at his his website, looking at his positions on things, and he's got a lot of very uh, positive conservative conservative things on it. But again, I've already heard from people who heard the interview who are just livid with me for even entertaining the thought because they believe that his presence is going to defeat Mike Dewine, and that uh, yeah, well. uh, and that Nan, Nan Whaley as an as a pro abortion up until birth. Uh, just destroyer of the city of Dayton, uh, and so on and so forth is just a, you know, it's just a far worse option than even surviving another four years of Mike DeWine would be. And they feel like he would Ross Perot, he would Ross Perot, uh, this, this election and, uh, and give us the worst of, of two options. But this, this is the hostage situation that the Republican leadership puts conservatives in like every two years. It's like, and it's the question, what the question you're really asking is, how much do we have to take to, it's like, what can they ram down our throats before we say, fine, we're just going to, we don't care who wins. We just want to get rid of you guys. I mean, there was talk among Washington conservatives in uh, 2015 before, before Trump became a reality that there was a movement to actually work with Democrats to take out certain Republican leaders in different House and Senate races. Because just people had just had enough. They'd they'd given up hope, uh, you know. And it, but as, as Trump emerged, it looks like Trump had some momentum that went to the wayside. But you know, I still think about it. there's a lot of there's a lot of Republicans that I wouldn't mind voting for the Democrat just to get rid of the guy. Yeah, I completely understand and completely agree with that. We're talking with Neil McCabe, and we're talking politics here. Uh, we're coming up. It's already eleven twenty-seven. I didn't realize that was quick. Can you hang around real quick for the other side of the news? 
Absolutely, man. Got a couple more questions for you. I want to talk about a couple of other things in Ohio and uh, with respect to yesterday's primaries in North, uh, Pennsylvania and North Carolina. We'll continue with Neil McCabe right after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, one final segment here, and I'm going to spend that time with Neil McCabe, our friend from the Ohio Star, online at theohiostar.com, does tremendous work. Just got back from Arizona where he was uh, interviewing uh, Carrie Lake, who is uh, a candidate there that I think is, uh, is is she the Trump-endorsed candidate in that race? She is the Trump-endorsed candidate, I think, uh, and I think he uh, really picked a winner. Yeah, I think maybe so. I can't. I can't wait to uh, hear more about uh, your trip there. Uh, but I want to speak about the last one here. <clears throat> Excuse me, I shouldn't say the last one, but the last one for this conversation is going to be the race um, uh, for the Senate seat. I mentioned J.D. Vance only in passing when talking about Dr. Mehmet Oz in California or in uh, Pennsylvania, rather. Excuse me. Uh, let's talk about the race between Vance and Ryan because I'm watching Tim Ryan commercials. And I'm watching him there playing darts and wearing a hoodie and trying to look as down-to-earth as he possibly can while essentially doing a MAGA commercial. Everything he says is America first. He talks about his own party's mistakes, calls out his own party for getting it wrong on this, that, and the other thing, including China. Um, do you think he's got – I mean, is this, just a, is this just an attempt to woo in the centrist voters, the more moderate Republicans who are not necessarily uh, – uh, J.D. Vance fans, or what do you think the strategy is here that Tim Ryan is employing? I think that uh, this is just strength on strength. He recognizes that, uh, you know, Vance has got this mega support, and he's just going to go right at it and try to blow it apart. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out. He's not the only Democrat to do this. It's been done before. It's just, you know, it, it's funny to me, or, or funny, sad, I guess, the, the pushback that he gets is being you know, anti-Asian or racist, which is basically what we're told all the time when we talk about the Wuhan virus or anything like that. It's, uh, you know, I don't think regular Americans yet realize the degree to which China has infiltrated our institutions, uh, Wall Street, Hollywood, uh, here, you know, like the colleges, the universities. And, and so... You know, for for Ryan to take on China like this, he's really kind of he's really rattling the cage. I give him some credit for doing it. Uh, I always resent the fact that, you know, as he started to get more national political ambitions, he jettisoned his pro-life position, which I, you know, growing up in Massachusetts is something that I saw happen over and over again with uh, with Democrats. You know, you know, as the state would be a pro-life state rep. And then uh, they wanted to be a state senator, and then obviously if they ran for Congress, they were all for abortion. And so I think Ryan has to, has to answer for that. But I give the guy some credit, uh, you know, doing his uh, Zelensky act with his sweatshirt there. <laughs> Well, yeah, he is. He's he's trying to uh, he's trying to, I think, warm up to, you know, blue collar, uh, moderate conservative voters uh, who are, like I said, maybe not necessarily huge J.D. Vance uh, fans. And and, and, you know, this is this is a commonality, I guess this is a common occurrence, I should say. 
in elections in which you have somebody who is far left, who is an absolute, I mean, right, do you agree with me? He's an absolute rubber stamp for anything Chuck Schumer wants. Anything yeah. Chuck Schumer puts in front of him, whether it be Green New Deal, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, abolition of the filibuster, all of these things, Tim Ryan is going to go just walk right along. Yeah, like, like he's, he's the guy, he's going to be the guy who says, aw, shucks. I, you know, I know I told the voters of Ohio that I was going to vote one way, but, you know, the, you know, the party wants this and we'll get it later. And, you know, we need to pass this vote. We can't lose. It's like it, it, he'll be the rubber stamp, just like, you know, I was saying about Oz. That's what, tr- what Trump loves about Oz is Oz will be the rubber stamp. And, you know, Ryan had a chance. This is the amazing thing about Ryan is his instincts are good. Like, I believe he's grounded in his community, and he watched what happened to his to Youngstown and that whole region. You know, he didn't do much about it, but he sort of was there, and he understands it. And when he took Nancy Pelosi to the House, you know, he got like a third of the vote. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi went into that meeting not knowing if she would win or lose. And, you know, it's like you're, you're, Nancy Pelosi is not supposed to lose, you know, is not supposed to win with two-thirds. She's supposed, it's supposed to be unanimous. And, you know, it ended Ryan's career on Capitol Hill, and he's been, ever since, ever since that battle with Pelosi, he's been trying to figure out a home. I mean, I mean, am I old enough? I'm, I think I'm old enough to remember he was running for president once, right? Was that a dream? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, I, do I remember that? For about as long as Kamala Harris was, for about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's about how long he lasted. But but he is yeah he he is every bit of that uh, and and again he's trying to I think really you know uh, he, there's this is really going to be much more so I think than some of the other elections that we have seen a real battle for the center I, you know everybody says oh, there's far right and there's far left there's you know dodgeball conservatives and there's dodgeball liberals or or leftists if you will and all races are decided by the center and the uh, you know the, the moderate voters and it's true but in this particular case since J D Vance does not have a real strong grip on the Trump voters even though he got the nomination and then ended up winning, excuse me, got the endorsement and ended up winning the nomination by eight points. There are people who are still ticked that he is the nominee. And I think think Tim Ryan knows that, and he kind of sees some room here. This is an opportunity to really pull some people who are on the right and say, you know what, I am just as much of a... Uh, of a, of an America first guy is JD Vance's. You know, you can't believe that he is one. You know what? You you might as well take a shot on me. Look at me. I have the same mindset. I have the same uh, views on, you know, the second amendment and and some other things that he's trying to sell here. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bill of goods. Uh we and again, this is why I said I'm going to support JD Vance. Right, let me ask you, Neil, in in wrapping sure. in wrapping this. Is it hypocritical for a guy like me or for a guy like you, and I don't know anybody else, uh, if you say, I believe that we should support the nominee in one of these races, but not necessarily in the other? In other words, I didn't like the fact that Mike DeWine won the, won the primary, and I'm not going to support him. I can't support him. It doesn't mean I'm going to do anything to undermine him and, and try to get Nan Whaley in there, but I cannot support Mike DeWine, but I absolutely will support J.D. Vance with vigor here because I think there's a shot there much more so uh, you know, than if Tim Ryan is in that seat. Now, you, you're, you're struggling with what everybody struggles with, Bob. It's <clears> like that's why in the polls, when the pollsters stop taking polls a week before the election, they lose the Republican surge. There's always a Republican surge at the end, and that's because <laughs> Republican they could, people they complain, they complain, they complain, and then election day comes and you're like, well, golly, I just got to vote for the Republican. I was screwed. It's 
You know, that's just the, that's just what we do, and it's who we are. But at the same time, I mean, I mean, golly, I was I was personally thrilled when George H. W. Bush lost because I was just so tired of the the obnoxious attitude and the cavalier way that he just tossed away all these campaign promises. You know, George H. W. Bush he campaigned as a pro life guy. He said he was going to invoke the line item veto by executive order, right? He outlawed the importation of AK-47. I mean, he, he did all these things. I'm like, what is it with this guy? He was This was supposed to be Reagan's third term. This doesn't look like Reagan's third term. And then I got eight years of Clinton. And for eight years, I'm like, God, I miss Bush. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I fear we're in for right now if we do yeah. this with DeWine. This is, uh, this you is know, the hostage like, crisis. Yeah. That they conservatives are held hostage by the Republican yeah. leadership. And yeah, every we time are, they, we are, we are. We've got no home. Sometimes it feels like we got no yep. home in any, either one of those camps. Uh, Neil McCabe, thank you very much. Appreciate you very much from the Ohio Enjoy State. Thank, thanks, everyone. Thanks to all the guests. Thanks to you. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.